From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Goal on Goal. This time, a live edition of Goal on Goal. And joining us to be a third wheel in our little two-man show is Giles Morgan. Giles, welcome to Goal on Goal. Well, it's my it's my debut, and I've obviously been nervous. I've been warming up all morning, but I'm delighted to join you both. It's a big moment for my career. Hello, boy. And, uh, of course, it wouldn't be Goal on Goal without uh, the man himself, Roger Mitchell. Hi, Roger. Hi. How are you, hi. Uh, how, I'm fine. How are you? I know you're in Singapore, jet-lagged. Uh, how are you? Okay? You see the Champions League? Yes, the beauty of jet lag. I was wide awake at three o'clock this morning to watch the City intergame. Well done, City. I think the 1-0 result saved them from a lot of headlines about how they bought, how they bought the Champions League. It was a good scrap with Inter. I thought Elf went into a really, really good mm-hmm. run, so much better than I thought they'd be. Yeah, they did well. Much they better than I thought they'd be. Well, gentlemen, the reason for our convening at this ungodly hour for me is the subject at hand, Live Golf and the blockbuster announcement this past week where we saw Monaghan and the, the PIF head sitting on CNBC cozying up to one of that. You know, I, I, I must admit, I, I saw this when I got off the plane and I thought it was a wind-up. I thought it was a spoof. I didn't realize it was a joke. It happened so quickly. And something like that, considering how much chatter and whispering there's been about everything to do with Liv and the PGA – it doesn't seem to have been any secrets that haven't leaked beforehand. The fact that this caught everybody by surprise was the most shocking thing to me, that uh, that it came out of left field. And among those surprised by it, I have to say, I took a great deal of delight in was Greg Norman, it seems. But, Giles, let me, let me come to you. We're, we're happy to have you with us because you are, Absolutely. You are extremely well-connected in the world of golf. And so I'm going to ask you first, your thoughts on the announcement, what you think it means. Just give, it, just give us your assessment of the whole thing. Well, yeah, I think like everybody, very, very surprised, really surprised by the announcement, given this may be one of the greatest sort of turnarounds in, in, in history uh, of a position to a new position, but also how vague it's all been. If I were an investor in the, in the sport as a sponsor primarily, which is after all what the, the mainstay of golf traditionally has been the big sponsors who absolutely love to get their arms around one of the great corporate demographic sports. You've effectively had your whole investment over the last five, 10 years, if you've been a long-term investor in, in the sport, completely blown up because you just don't know which way is north. And you even know less now. And that's, for me, the most muddling thing of all is all I can see is that the winners are the golfers who are going to get richer and richer and richer. But I don't see the sport advancing. And I don't see the sponsors knowing, you know, sponsorship is all about understanding how much value you've got, what the narrative is around a season, around geography, around all of the different pieces. Everything is up in the air. So it feels to me there's even more chaos and I'm quite bemused by it all at the moment. And I feel quite nervous for the game. I don't think it's any clearer where the sport is going to go today as it was um, a year ago. 
Raj, what was, what was your take on it? I've, I've got plenty of thoughts. <laughs> to get into those, but I'm, I want to let you go first. Uh, what's your thought on the whole thing? Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I went back to some of our old shows to, to, to what we said about this over the last year. And Grant, you know, you and I, especially on Goal on Goal, you were focusing a lot on, I don't like their tournament. They're playing for nothing. You can see Phil doesn't care. You know, it's all about the money. I said to you, I said, I think you're looking at the wrong thing. This is about a stalking horse to wound a monopolistic, complacent rights holder, and then they'll pick up the pieces. Now, I didn't necessarily think it would be in this form of a merger. I have to say that. I can't say, oh, yeah, it was always going to be a merger. Donald Trump said that, but um, I think he was the, the only one I saw. It. Rory did mention some something like that. He's always Donald been a poor man's Roger Mitchell, Donald Trump, if you ask me. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you know, so the PGA were mortally wounded right now. Whether uh, this is about broadcasters wanting to get money back because the product's not the same, ditto for sponsors, as Giles said, or whether it's about legal discovery and not wanting a whole lot of horrible stuff to come out both sides. The PGA were mortally wounded and investors, certainly vulture investors, they, they love those situations. And, you know, I hear it was Amanda Staveley that put this together, but whoever had the idea of saying, look, there's a win-win here, and you will end up ultimately owning the sport of golf, Saudi. I think that's genius in a lot of ways. My whole thing about all of this wasn't so much the surprise that the fact that the PGA, as we knew it 18 months ago, no longer exists. I kind of expected that because that's my shtick. But, you know, how it's played out has been extremely interesting from the kind of like strategic chessboard things that I like. I keep wrestling with the fact that I still, having read every single thing I can find to read about it, I have no idea what this is all about. I still have no idea. And no, and no one can write it down and tell me exactly what's happened, exactly what the deal is. And it seems like every quote-unquote insider who gives us their inside view on it comes up with a different answer. You know, they've got an agreement to have an agreement from what I can see, Rog. And the only thing we know is that um, – the Saudis are going to be the chair of this new company, this new for-profit company. The PGA Tour will carry on as it is. They'll, they'll make a joint new co, as it's been called in the documents. So the PIF guy will be the chairman. Jay Monahan will be the CEO, although that, I suspect, there's still a few twists and turns in that little saga. Uh, I would imagine a vote of no confidence in Jay Monahan will be forthcoming at some point. And the Saudis have first right of refusal for any commercial ventures on this deal. But the PGA Tour will carry on as it is. And the thing that I've, I'm blown away by is that is that Jay Monaghan is now essentially in charge of Liv and can kill it at the end of 2023 if he decides that it's the right thing to do. Now, we can argue whether there's going to be a veto if he decides to kill it and whether the Saudis will say, well, no, 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 you can't kill it. But I actually, the way I read it, the way I interpret it, and I could be completely wrong, but it looks to me as though what's really happened here is the Saudis have thrown the live guys under the bus. They've basically said, what we want is the PGA Tour, to your point, Rog. We've now got ourselves embedded as strategic partners of some kind with the PGA Tour. You want to kill live, kill live. We don't care. 
I haven't seen an awful lot of ink spilled when Monaghan and the others have been talking tough about how difficult it's going to be for the golfers who left to go to live to come back on the tour. There's no open arms being welcomed. We've seen Rory saying there have to be consequences. We've seen other golfers saying, you know, we need to get rewarded for our loyalty and these guys can't just come back. I have seen nothing from the Saudis saying, oh, hang on a second, you know, you've got to do the right thing by these guys. So my reading of it, and it's nothing more than that, so, you know, feel free to pile on and tell me I'm a complete idiot, I'm reading it wrong, I will, I will happily accept that, is that the Saudis wanted the PGA Tour. They haven't got the tour, but they've become essentially the kingmakers for the PGA Tour. And to them, Liv is like, meh, you know, we don't care, do what you want with it. Now we've got the tour, we don't care what you do with it. Well, I think that's interesting, um, Grant. I think that perhaps the only useful piece of navigation that they've all got in the next nine months is, let's be honest, the live product was not very good. And therefore, it's, and therefore it's quite easy for that to be discarded. Now they've got what they want, which is they're at the top table. They, right. are the, they are the top table. And whatever happens to live, I think it may become, if it was me, I'd be maybe putting it into that kind of autumn, September, October, yep. November time yeah, of maybe year. There's a sp- yeah, a FedEx Cup type team event over five or six weeks. Yeah, I can see that. Preci- precisely. And then if, if, as the rumours are, that the LPGA gets um, pulled into there, that may be where you start to create a more live looking like team type event. But I think live as it was, which was poorly executed, in my view, I didn't feel it was particularly good entertainment. And it caused the schism that it has. That schism now goes. And it almost provides the PGA Tour with a... Uh, almost the chance to have two seasons, which is the real golf season, which is the proper four-day stroke play events that we all know and love. And then to start mucking around with team, different formats, girls and guys playing together, all of that, to start modernizing golf. Because let's be honest, the one thing that hasn't happened in all of this time is a sort of sensible version of new golf that we've all become comfortable with. There isn't a 2020 equivalent, is my point, that we've had in cricket. And golf needs to look at that because there's something very fundamental. It's something I think Rog said earlier on is they've bought the game of golf. They haven't. They've bought the top professional men golfers at the moment. And golf goes into 80 million people's passion points. There are all those players around the world. And those are the fans. Those are the people that we who need to be convinced. And I think at the moment, golf has let itself down. We've talked about the majors in particular have sat very pretty right the way through this whole episode. They've kept their dignity. They've, they, they're stronger than ever. If you're the Open Championship and if you're Augusta National, the product is as good as it is because the one is kind of like the North Star to all of us, particularly those two tournaments, at least we know we're getting the top end of golf. But everything else is on the table. My worry is that we've seen such inefficiency and so much chaos. We've got to win the piece. Golf has got to win the piece. And I don't see who's doing that. I I think there's more schisms, more factions. And this game looks, which after all, during COVID, as we remember, was really quite well pulled together. It was in quite a good place. It looks all over the place now. And of course, there's the money. And I'm sure over five, 10 years, things will settle. But, you know, Ryder Cup this year is still not going to have the live players in. That's fine. We all understand that. But what an own goal this has been, literally. If you talk about goal, own goal, this is the own goal of all own own goals, really. Yeah, Raj, you, you look like you're about to... 
no, 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 no. I just want to, you know, I read Phil's announcement, which was a little bit lost in the in the same day where he talked about the scary motherfuckers. Later in that interview, it says this because this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour reshape, operates. Yeah. Yeah. They've been able, they being the PGA, they've been able to get away with manipulative, coercive, strong arm tactics because we, the players, had no recourse. As nice a guy as Monaghan comes across, unless you have leverage, he won't do what's right. I think that's been proven. And the Saudi money has finally given us that leverage. I'm not even sure I want Live Golf to succeed. But just the idea of it is allowing us to get things done with the PGA Tour. And this is my whole disruption thing about basically old rights holders are not fit for purpose. PGA is not fit for purpose for a, for a number of reasons. But what I want to say to you, Giles, about, you know, find the peace. You tell me, Giles, in all honesty, how can you think of a peace when the organization is led by Jay Monaghan. After everything he said about 9-11 families, now trying to bring everything together and working for those exact same people, having cut himself a very, very juicy personal deal. What's happened here to me is very, very simple. And it happens more often than not in business. Somebody goes and says, look, there's two ways to get things done in life. Um, you buy somebody off or you scare them. They just bought Jay Monaghan off. And I have to say that whilst the sport of golf continues with this man at its helm, there's no chance. You can talk about product market fit, the T20 of golf, bring women in. All of that's true, Giles. But as they say in Italy, the fish rots from the head down. And I'm sorry, golf currently has nothing short of a disgraceful human being at its helm now. And you can't go any further than that. Well, I know Jay personally. I haven't had the conversation with him, particularly in the last few days. So I can't... How'd I can't. Get com- I would imagine. Yeah, I, I think the switchboard was slightly, uh, slightly jammed. I do agree with you, Roger. It does seem how on earth can that be tenable when all of those things have been said and now there needs to be new... I think also one of the sadnesses that I feel, and this might be really old school, and Rod, you're probably going to scoff at this, but one of the things about golf that makes golf very special and certainly why it's so beloved, particularly by big, big multinational sponsors, is it has, as we all know, when we would play golf together, or anybody who knows and loves the game of golf, there is integrity that is absolutely critical to this game. It exactly. is sort of it is it is sort of what binds and separates the game almost from any other game, pastime, sport, call it what you like, in the world. And integrity means shaking hands at the end of 18. It means you don't cheat. It means you do all of the things that you grow up playing golf. It's a game of values, of trust, of heritage and tradition. And all of that in the men's professional game right now seems in tatters. You know, you look back to the greats of old, of the Hogans of this world, of all of those people who built this sport. And you think of the RNA clubhouse, you think of people. And I know this is old fashioned, but I think the game has had an incredible torpedo under its hull, which is if you're asking that your greatest heroes to show that integrity and the administrators of those heroes to show integrity, to show a certain amount of moral fortitude 
it feels very greedy, this game. And, and, and that saddens me a lot because I think there will be a, a pushback. I think you'll see, funny enough, I think you'll see sports like triathlon now picking up on some sponsors from the game of golf. Got, do you know what? We've had it with this sport. It's morally a bit of a busted flush right now. This is where I come in and parrot. Unfortunately, Rog, which is an unusual position for me to be in, but you'll get it in the at end. At the end of the day, I, I don't. I, I know, or I don't, and I hate. I, I'm not looking forward to that day. If I know I'll be a cynical old bastard like you at some point, but look, I disagree with that, Giles. I think if we come back to Rog and the importance of the product market fit, the golfing audience is arguably one of the most valuable audiences in the world for advertisers to be in front of. It's that simple. So I don't think there's a chance that any of the sponsors of golf are going to suddenly say, oh, you know what, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to sponsor triathlon and give that not a chance in hell. You know, for me, what's happened here, Jay Monahan should resign on principle, not, not be forced to resign. He should have said, listen, after what I've said, after what I've 100%. done and how I've painted this and everything I said as my counterpoint to this, I cannot in good conscience be the head of this new thing. You know, he said, oh, I know people are going to call me a hypocrite. I know they're going to say it. Yeah, because you are a hypocrite. And if you're comfortable being a hypocrite and having zero shame and zero integrity and not doing the right thing, I suspect at some point you will be removed. The players will say, no, I'm sorry. We don't want you to be the head of this organization. And frankly, Giles, if I was the sponsors, that would be one of my big things. I'd say, listen, sorry, Monaghan's got to go. We need to start this again. And if you want the big sponsorship deals, we can't have a guy with zero integrity at the head of the sport. It just doesn't work that way. You know, I, I watched Rory's news conference this week. You know, I feel so sorry for Rory because Monaghan has absolutely hung him out to dry. He's let him do all the heavy lifting when it came to press conferences. I think Monaghan gave two press conferences since the beginning of Lib, one of them at the very beginning. In the meantime, he's had poor Rory up there every single week that he's played towing the company line and you know i have to say i I know you and i differ in our opinions of rory rog but what a class act he is the way he handled being in that spotlight he didn't hide he got up there at the canadian open and he and he took all the questions and he said look i'm not happy i've had to come to terms with it i don't like what's happened i've come to terms with it there's just too much money involved here and you can't keep up with someone that has a lot more money than you, you can tell he hates it. People will say, oh, it's double standards. He should refuse to play on the PGA Tour. But realistically, if you're a golfer and the PGA Tour essentially owns the DP World Tour now, what are your options? Rory McIlroy is not going to go and uproot his family and play on the Asian Tour. Just not going to do it. So I have a great deal of sympathy for Rory. And it's remarkable to me that he's up there at the top of the leaderboard again this week. I mean, his, his ability to focus when he is under pressure outside the game is truly extraordinary. I'd love to see him get it done. He'd be kind of folded at the last round of the Memorial last week, but we'll see what happens um, later today in the Canadian Open. But I, I, I just think, Rog, you know, this product market fit thing that you always talk about is so right. Golf is probably the most coveted demographic in all the sports in terms of affluence, in terms of reach, in terms of global nature. And whatever this thing turns into, it will be led by commercial interests. It will be led by the money that everybody can make. And I think the Saudis don't care quite as much about how much money they make you out see, of it as opposed the to the legitimacy 
That's the most legitimacy it gives them, which was the goal all along. So, you know, when people talk about it being a win-win, Raj, I think that's probably absolutely what it will turn out to be. It's a pretty cynical one. But if you define a win-win as everybody involved getting ultimately what they wanted, whether it's good for the fans or not, it's hard to argue this isn't a win-win. You know, you say earlier about the sponsors, Grant, and, and look, we're going to widen this out. Certainly I am a bit later because this is just so emblematic of what's happening in sport. You talk about the sponsors. The sponsors don't matter anymore, Grant. Do the sponsors matter at Man City? Do they matter at PSG? These people don't need sponsors. If they need them, they'll... they'll well, well they in. do. They do, Rog, because they need to inflate the numbers to get past the financial fair play. Thing, okay, right? in football, yes, but in golf, no. If they need to uh, uh, whitewash this in some way to make it look some uh, way legitimate, they'll call up Etihad or Emirates Airlines or something like that, and you'll get your sponsors. So, so this world that you lived in as a protagonist, Giles, of golf, it's gone. It's gone. Golf is now owned by a nation state that doesn't need sponsorship money. It just doesn't. It's doing it for other reasons. What happens with the product market fit? I think it won't be that far away from what I said on the Eddie Pepperell podcast recently. You know, that's not going to change. You're going to get a focus on the top end, the majors. The rest of it's all going to be a little bit gadgety and modern and bringing women in, which is all good stuff. But like everything else, it'll polarise. The interest will be around those top players. But, you know, the thing for me that this truly is emblematic because for me, we can't go really past Jay Monaghan when discussing this. Let's take the person of Jay Monaghan out of it for a minute. We're now in season six of this podcast, lads, and we've been saying this kind of stuff for five years a lot of people haven't wanted to hear it but you know there's three kinds of leader I think in the sports industry and I'm talking from direct experience there's the true romantics and I quite like them you know that article I wrote the other week about Kez you know I'm not a million miles away from them if push comes to shove at the other end there's what I call the bad men in Glasgow we've got a whole load of bad, vulgar words, but the most cutting insult you can give somebody is, he's a bad man. Jim Monaghan's a bad man. Blatter's a bad man. The third one is the one that's killing sport. It's the mediocre incumbent. It's the person that has been called in the past a secretary. The secretary of this, the secretary of that. Because that was a decent name for them. They were rules and regs guys. They weren't particularly at the top quartile of intelligence in the main, always exceptions. And they found themselves in a job that was the sexiest job in the world. It was normally a not-for-profit, so nobody was looking over their shoulder to do what you do in any other business and make sure you're hitting budget, make sure you're keeping costs under control. Jay Monaghan was on $15 million and a private jet. I mean, really, in what world does that work when you're operating a non-for-profit monopoly? Just insanity. So sport now needs to take this example... And all the other ones that are out there, rugby shambles, uh, athletic shambles, football totally distorted by Arab money, and work out where its leadership is coming from. I know these people don't like me because I'm showing a mirror to their face. 
they can explain it away in all the way they want. Uh, he's a small man syndrome. He's in coma and shouting from an ivory tower. He doesn't go to sport. Fine. You justify it the way you want. The reality is you've been stealing a wage in your job and you and your leadership that over the time of this podcast have presided over the total disintegration of this industry. The total disintegration. You tell me what's left in this industry as we sit here on a Sunday morning that you say, oh, that's going to work out well. Athletics? Nah. Tennis? Forget it. Rugby's gone. Football, I've just said, and golf has been bought by doing a deal with Jay Monaghan. That's what we've got to talk about now because we said this was going to come. We got laughed at. We're now too late and we're now in the kind of like, can we actually save it? We should have acted five years ago. We didn't. Can we now save it? Listen, there's a lot of great people in sport. You know, I've spent a, a quite a wee bit in the last couple of weeks speaking with Scudamore. Top, top guy in any industry, top quality. You know? Joanne Coates that, that was at Athletics, did a great job at netball, went to Athletics and just got so scunnered, she fucked off. Don't blame her. And we can list them, the ones that are in Como. You saw them there, James Elliott, Nick Bourne, Ben Wells, Matty Carter. There's a lot of great people in sport. But I'm telling you, when they come to me, they are as frustrated as hell because they know I'm right. And I really want to know what these people are thinking about now because they should have shame. They are presiding over the disintegration of an entire industry. <laughs> well, look, Roger, 15 million in a private jet will cover the cost of an awful lot of shame, right? It's that simple. I think your answer is right there. I mean, look, it remains to be seen. The only real way any of this kind of gets resolved, unfortunately, is if the fans say enough is enough and they stop going. And that's the bet I think a lot of these people are making is that the fans are fans and they're emotional and it's in their heart and they can bitch and moan and whine about it as much as they want, but they're still going to go. And if they don't go to the games, they still believe that the TV rights numbers are going to keep going up. We've disagreed about that for a long, long time. Ultimately, there's another day of reckoning coming there. And if there is a day of reckoning there, then now they're assuming that the bottomless pockets of the Saudis will be able to fill that. If you think about it from a practical standpoint, it's not the most nonsensical bet to make. Now, whether you're right or not remains to be seen. You, know, you remember in the 1980s when it was all about Japan. Uh, and Japan were taking over the world and they were buying Pebble Beach and they were buying you know, all these prestigious golf courses and buying 30 Rock in New York City and buying all these trophy buildings, we saw what happened to Japan. They were replaced by the Chinese. Chinese aren't buying this stuff now. They've got problems of their own at home. Now they're being replaced by the Saudis. The interesting part of it for me, Rog, is the Saudis have one thing that neither the Japanese nor the Chinese had when they were kind of in the ascendancy, and that is they've got their hands on the spigots for oil. It's and commodity wealth. You're right. It's commodity wealth, not financial wealth. Yeah. If you want to pay Karim Benzema $200 million a year, and by the way, the terms of that deal, they signed him, and then he could choose which club he wanted to go and play for, which I find extraordinary. We're selling right? the soul. Um, we really are. Right? But look, to pay for it, 
you know what? We're going to cut oil production. That's what we're going to do, and we're going to push the price of oil up, and we've got a tangible way to pay for this. So that's the interesting part for me. The Saudis are now top of the tree, that, you know, where all the money is. But it's interesting because they've had this money all along. They've now decided to look to the future and realize that, you know, oil is not always going to be the fuel that everybody needs. I suspect it will be that for a lot longer than Western politicians either expect or would hope. But they do at least have one hand around the throat of everybody else in terms of if we need to raise cash, there's a way we can do this. So it, it's very different, but I, you know, I, I, I feel like for the moment, if, if it's not checkmate, it's definitely check. So let's just take this back a bit, though, because it, for me, still, it's about the piece, I, the product of sport. It's one thing to buy the sport up. You've still then got to engage. You've still got to make the product product is the wrong word you know the passion for fans you talked about it both earlier that to me is where i feel that, that golf is at this moment it, there's a precipice which is so there's new ownership so what does the game get to grow does the game get to capture the imagination grant i disagree with you about the sponsorship I'm not immediately i'm not saying that people are gonna exit golf tomorrow i'm not saying that but i think as different rights holders come along with different products different age groups, particularly on the demographics of the C-suite, which may be less golf than you think now, is that if the sport has a flaw, which remember, uh, sorry to go on to the sponsorship piece, but sponsorship is simply a metaphor. It's a set of clothing for co- for corporates, for boring companies who do boring things, who sell commodity stuff. So they need some creative energy. They need color. They need to engage with certain demographics. That's the point of it. If you're buying something that feels morally a little bit redundant, why would you put your arms around it any longer? So I'm not saying golf is morally redundant today, but it's been acting with a lot of redundancy recently in terms of that. And if you then go to more purer sports, which may be more green focused, maybe ones that are more embracing of men and women, golf should have been ahead of the game by miles on mixed sport. And they've been really woefully slow at getting behind it. My fear is that sponsors will move away. Now, Roger's point is is also fair. Golf doesn't need sponsorship anymore. It just doesn't. It can do it on its own. In which case, who are going to be the marketeers? Who are going to be the people that sell that sizzle of the sport that make it compelling? Because I would argue that the great sponsors in sport over the last 50 years are actually the marketeers who have sold sport the best. Think of Coca-Cola. Think of all of the all of the big corporations. They're the ones with real marketing muscle, real marketing know-how. If you leave it up to people who wear blazers and badges, who say, yes, but I've always been a proud golf man or, or rugby man or whatever, and you let them do the marketing, then you may as well walk away. And that, to me, is is the worry. You need sponsors because you need their skill set to help sizzle. And I feel that there is a bit of a problem right now. It's really nice you're listening, Jarlo, because when I look at golf, you know, I've watched a fair bit of golf in, in the US. Uh, I haven't watched much in the UK for a while now. But when I think about the sponsors of golf, it's Callaway, it's TaylorMade. When I think of all the commercials that you see regularly on the thing. It's Workday. You know, it's KPMG. I, I don't see an awful lot of sizzle when you're talking about sponsorship in golf, right? FedEx, I don't see them doing an awful lot. I see them when I'm watching the golf, but I haven't seen anything 
done by any of those guys that's made me think, oh, you know what, I really want to watch the golf. So I'm not so sure that the sponsors and the marketers are having a massive effect on the golfing audience. I watch it because I love golf and I love to watch. I watch the Memorial. I watch the Canadian Open. I wouldn't watch the John Deere Classic because the field's never that strong. You know, I, it's there's nothing that the sponsors do or don't do that's going to change my viewing habits in golf. Yeah, and that may be fair. And I would say that quite often in, in on, on mainland USA, that the quality of sponsorship activation is pretty turgid. And it's pretty sort of flappy canvas tent with selling hamburgers. I, I sort of agree with that. In other parts of the world, I would say, and I, my old company was one of the best at doing it, you know, to create golf in China and to create sizzle, required a lot of marketing dollars and it created great sizzle i'm biased of course i was part of that journey but i do think that if you look at other sports the ones that do it really well and football is obviously the king in in europe and most parts of the world great mastercard great visas great coca-cola they really put money into to making activation my point is more about golf i don't know who's going to be doing the marketing of golf anymore i hope very much it's not the guys who did live because I don't think that was a, an enormous triumph. I think that probably the people at the RNA, the Open, and the people at the Masters are probably the best marketeers of their own tournaments because they know what they are and they do it beautifully. And you, the golf fan, we watch it with reverence and excitement and, and all the rest of it. But when I look at this vast new circus where you've got different factions still, you've got the Olympic people, you've got still the DP World, you know, people are still sitting in endless committees endless committees not agreeing with each other because they all want to have their five minutes of influence and nothing gets done. And I hope really what I would love to... Sounds a bit like goal on goal to me, (laughs) Joe. Well, you know, and this is my first and possibly last time. No, Giles, you're right on this one. (laughs) You're right on this about the sponsor and, and the storytelling. What you're talking about is who's going to do the storytelling. And what we just need to face in here, guys, and, you know, again, we've I think we've said this, Saudi Arabia and the Arab world are not going to stop. This is the big play for them. They're going to try and take over everything. And whilst I think it's right to say they don't need sponsors for the money side of it, they do for what both you are talking about there. Because, you know, look at the the horrible branding that they have with PSG. Whichever way you cut that, that's just a horrible looking club now. It's the same thing you see, it's not really to do with them, but it's the same thing you see in America with the Miami Grand Prix where they've got the fake marina with with the water and everything like that. I don't think that's good enough. Where sport is competing in the entertainment world across a whole lot of different categories of competitor now, the idea that Saudi and the Arabs buy all of this up and then just think it's going to work by paying Benzema that amount of money, they will fail because it's not authentic. You can't put behind you 150 years of sports traditions by just buying the best talent. It is more than that. And, you know, my biggest worry, and I say this with a lot of sadness, this isn't a told you so thing. I say this with a lot of sadness. The industry of sport, the sport itself that I grew up with as a young lad is being ripped away from me day by day, sport by sport, And I'm desperately angry with the current leadership of the industry because they have either 
been too dumb to see it coming or deliberately not wanted to see it coming in that classic Upton Sinclair line. What is it? The man's uh, understanding of something. It's hard to get a man to understand something if his salary depends on it. Yeah, exactly. So, so I'm very sad, Grant, about all of this. This isn't; these aren't good days. But look, look, to, you know, today the part of Grant Williams is being played by Roger Mitchell, right? This has been my my problem all along, and it comes back to what you've said for the longest time, right? You and I—it's being ripped away from us because it's being now designed for a different generation who think about it in a different way. You know, it's it's interesting that the, the Saudis are going to try and buy all this sport uh, in time to try and market it to a generation that is way more politically sensitive than our generation ever was, right, or the generation that came before us. If you're going to try and sell this to millennials and, God forbid, Gen Z, you're going to have a problem on your hands. You are going to have a problem because they will make a principled stand Based on morals, based on whether they, you know, whether you're green, all these things, Rog, that we wouldn't do because we have that connection with the sport from a very young age. This audience, as we've debated long and hard on this show, they just want the sound bites, they just want the highlights. They don't have a genuine attachment to the sport. Yeah, they have an attachment to the players. Yeah, and so you're right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You're mad, but. I, I don't see how it fits in with this Gen Z audience. It, it, it just comes back to segmented marketing. You know, if you think of sport as brands, a collection of brands, there are some for a very top end and there's some for a younger entry level audience. It's not one or the other. The future of sport, and it should have been doing this 10 years ago, it didn't, is thinking about serious segmented marketing and really adjusting the product market fit accordingly. And now we're in this perfect storm through nothing other than lack of leadership. You know, let me go through the perfect storm. There's this one, you know, what I love to call sports Elvis moment, where the new generations are different. The second one is that the financier of sport, which is the media sector, is itself going through dramatic, dramatic change, dramatic change. The third one is that the governance is truly horrendous. And nobody can deny that. Um, we've talked about that a lot. And, and the, the fourth one is you've got a huge gorilla with unlimited commodity wealth, Saudi, saying, I don't care about all that. I'm just going to own everything. And, you know, like, that's a perfect storm. And you go along to conferences and you get these C plus B minus executives glad handing over gin and tonics at six o'clock in the bar. And they're talking good body language nonsense, just nonsense. And I would like them all to look in the mirror and say that they've been complacent, sitting on a monopoly, sitting on a non-profit, and they have done everything to destroy what they say they love. Everything. And I'm really angry about it. And the only thing that I think that can change that is some... Super radical thinking. We're in the middle now between an either fish nor fowl uh, situation where we're neither Corinthian and the way we used to be and beautiful and romantic, nor are we the full business way the Americans do it with closed leagues and salary caps. We're in the middle and we are dying a death of a thousand cuts. We need to decide, do we want to go the American way or do we want to really go back, make it a regulated industry, and do that properly, scale up the, the, the industry, get rid of all these 
low-level salespeople and low-level brokers that have done way better than they deserve to have done over the last years, get rid of them, bring in some serious strategic marketing people and try and save this. But, you know, go and let this, we'll be sitting here in another two years and tennis will be gone. Football will be even worse than it is today, manipulated and distorted. And it's not a good moment. And honestly, we fucked it up. Our generation, we could have stopped this and we didn't. When you say, I'm interested by that, and I'm not disagreeing, I'm just, what you mean, tennis will be gone. What does that mean, Rog? Gone where? Well, I mean, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, like, you've got two rights holders, the ATP and the WTA. I'm not talking about the majors. What this has proven these recent months, especially with golf, is that the majors are different. They were always going to be different. That's Hollywood. That's Jason Statham. That's Marvel Universe. That's going to be fine. The ATP as a product, and I watched it uh, recently because there was the, uh, an Italian player playing in the final, Sinner, I think his name is. As an entertainment product, it's a fucking non-starter. It's way too long. There's no personalities. There's nobody getting you interested with the backstories of the people. It's dead as an entertainment product. And they still put on events because that's what you do. They think they're in the events business. They are instead in the entertainment business. So the ATP and WTA have got very little life left. That would be the case if there wasn't pickling and padel. But there is. So, you know, I tell you, and you can bookmark this, tennis, as we know, it will not be around much longer. But that's the same for all of them. Golf, one of the first podcasts we did the year, what's his name, Shane Lowry won the Open. And I remember being on this podcast and saying, I was sitting there on the Saturday afternoon and after a couple of hours, I just got bored, rigid. I remember saying that on this podcast and you said, no, it's beautiful, it's beautifully open. No, Rog, Rog, no, you did, you did. But I don't think you're a true golf fan. You're a football fan. No, it's not I true, agree. Grant. It's not but true, I, but, Grant. But, I, but I'm a golf fan and I loved watching Shane Larry win that open. So, yeah, you can't... Well, for six hours, I, I, for six hours... I sat and watched all of it. I sat and watched all well, of it, Okay, you, 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 I, I, you're, I you're, you're an outlier. I did, I sat, I sat and watched... No, I, I, I think that's absolute nonsense. I think... If you ask any real golf fan if they will sit and watch the final round of the Masters for five or six hours, you'd get a surprising amount of people say absolutely. Well, I would say, Grant, I would say, Grant, it depends on their family situation. On a Saturday afternoon where they're having to dedicate some family time after a week at work, uh, if they've got wives, young children, take to sporting events, uh, do the shopping, there is no way. I, I understand that, Rog. I understand that. But you were talking about it being boring, not that you had other commitments. You were saying you got bored, and I'm challenging that notion. Look, there's a reason why the Sunday of the US Open is always on Father's Day, right? It gives every male golf fan the excuse to say, oh, come on, it is Father's Day. I want to sit my ass on the sofa and watch six hours of golf. So I, I don't think that's a fair comparison, Rog, because golf fans will watch the majors. I agree with you. They might not necessarily watch you know, the Honda Classic, for example. But if it's Bay Hill, if it's the Memorial, if it's a major championship, I disagree. I think that the target audience are inclined to watch a lot of golf. But, I mean, it doesn't change the point we're arguing here. Giles, let me ask you something because obviously there's a lot of, again, because we don't know exactly what this is, I've read a lot of stories talking about how this plan, such as it's been kind of outlined to us all in, in a very light shade of pencil, there are all kinds of antitrust issues with it. 
that mean it may not even get over the line. What's your take on that side of things? Well, and I know that is the debate and certainly what the media really are beginning to, to, to zero in on is antitrust and, and, and what that has. I don't know. I'm not qualified to be able to cast any more light on that. Other than I know Roger's been strong on sport is about monopoly because very often. Because the PGA not the definitive monopoly? Let me try and follow this, Grant. Yesterday, a full monopoly PGA with the players saying that they've got no control. A challenger comes up. Challenger and incumbent merge to take you back to where you were the day before yesterday. Why has that even been talked about? It was a monopoly yesterday. This, well, that's, Rog, no, that's, that's, on, I don't get on. that. No, I don't think, get think that. Of, but think about this. Think about this from a political standpoint, right, in the time as we live in. I don't think anyone was bothered about the PGA Tour, but the question is not has anything changed. The question is does this give politicians in the U.S. There was a tweet by Chris Murphy of Connecticut talking about how he'd had the PGA Tour in, and he was saying, interesting how they were saying the Saudis shouldn't have an interest in American sports. I guess this was all about money after all. We live in times when the ability and the chance offered to politicians to score points by saying, we're not going to let those filthy foreigners I get in that, here I get that, stealing our crown jewels. Right. So it's that. not about okay, antitrust. Baby, that, that's antitrust politics. might be an excuse. Okay, maybe yeah, an excuse, yeah. but but let's of let's take it's politics. Is the Saudis trying to buy America's one of America's crown jewels? Okay, right, of course, right. it's politics. Okay, okay, but I, I like my point about all of this is that I find it really rich that Spore is hoping that the antitrust is going to save them. I, I take your point. Listen, um, UEFA. I, I'm not rich. I'm not commenting no, on whether they're hoping to save them. It's important this point. It's important this point because UEFA is an absolutely dictatorial monopoly. You try and organise football in Europe anywhere outside the local permissions of the FA, which is UEFA, and you'll find out they've been taken to court around restraint of trade many times. It's truly beyond rich to say, oh, we're worried about monopolies. Now, it's the nature of the beast. The NFL's a monopoly. But, I don't disagree. I'm not arguing that. So why I'm are all these articles? It's just, I just, it's almost as if anything to stop this happening rather than address the problem. The problem is it happened because you were in charge and you dropped the ball and you should be ashamed. And they want to deflect and talk about like they did 9-11 families. As soon as he said that, I knew he was a bad man. As soon as he said that, they want to deflect. They want to say, oh, now antitrust. The reality, you can't get away from this, is that they all had it coming. All of these rights holders had it coming because for years they've been stealing a wage without any vision, without any strategy, and frankly, they've been mediocre, mediocre executives. And now they're scrambling around looking for any life raft that can save them, and they deserve to go under. Okay. So, um, Charles, what's happened to Greg Norman, do you think? Well, I would be very surprised if, I mean, again, you read different versions, don't you? Liver saying that he'll be still doing it. I can't believe in a merger of a PGA Tour that Greg Norman can come anywhere anywhere near it. I think what doesn't help his case, as I said earlier, is that I, I don't think he's presided over a, a good golf product whatsoever. And therefore, why would you want to keep him on? It's not so much about whether it's Greg Norman, former great Australian golfer, brilliant billionaire businessman. It's not that. He's 
hasn't proved himself to me to be a great seller of, of the sport of golf that he was once so good at and so proficient at. So I don't see why he would be there. I don't know the real relationship he has with his Saudi overlords, but I suspect he was put in for a reason. And I suspect he'll go into the sunset a little bit richer, which is quite a lot already, and it'll be fine. I can't see a future. I may be entirely wrong, but I think what Roger's saying is there may well be over the next 18 months, maybe a wholesale change. I would want to be looking, if I was a Saudi investor and I was genuine saying, right, we're putting in billions and billions of dollars into this sport. We believe in its demographic. We believe in the power of the sport. We believe in the influence. We believe all of these things that they must be believing in because of how important it may be for the long-term future of Saudi, a Saudi without oil is start getting the right people involved, start hiring the good people to come in and market a sport, to sell a sport, to embrace a sport, to bring in the women. And there are a lot of executives who have been in this world for a while who perhaps, to Roger's point, haven't put their best feet forward for long enough. And I think there will be change. I don't think it'll happen immediately, but that's probably what has to happen. And not the only sport, right? That's to, to Roger's point, is we've got to this point, the six years or five years of Are You Not Entertained has sort of charted this all the way along. Gosh, we were talking about data six years ago. Now everybody is. It's, it's, things have moved on, but nothing's really changed. Just think about it, Giles. You know, like we have got golf owned by the Saudi type of investor now, the nation state, and we've got rugby owned by the financial investor, CVC. Both of them... I don't think are in our best interest. I continue to not in any way understand what CVC are doing. Even when I started talking about this three months ago and started calling them out, that was a little bit of a out on a branch because they were well-loved in the industry with the cool kids, Formula One, weren't they great, all of that. Surely now nobody has got any doubts that they have totally lacked in any kind of leadership in the investment they made. That investment should be written down to zero, as I said. So, you know, they haven't worked as an investor for sport. The Arabs, they, they work for their own objectives, which we know what they are, but they don't work for sports objectives. So we need to ask ourselves a lot of fundamental questions. Sport needs a lot of new capital to change. It needs to move to a new B2C model it needs to attract a female audience and uh, needs to make sure Gen Z doesn't go and play video games and, and, and all that kind of stuff. We need a lot of capital. Who do we think we're going to get it from at this point? Who's asking and who's answering these questions in sport? I don't hear anybody else apart from us even putting these things on the table. We need a lot of new capital in this industry and the ones that seem to be giving it, and I'll add in, you know, Redbird and Milan, you know, that's going to be the article I put out later today, Redbird getting rid of Paolo Maldini. It's not working. The providers of capital are not a good match for the way we want sport to be. So how are we going to address that? What do we think the answer is? It's a two-sided equation, right? And the piece you wrote last week is perhaps the answer, right? You change the structure of the game. You need new capital only if you're going to continue spending money at the rate you're spending it. If you lower the cost of the game, maybe you don't need as much capital. You know, that piece you wrote about salary caps in football, I thought was absolutely brilliant. And I think somewhere in there is potentially a more likely answer is that 
the capital coming into the games gets capped or gets cut by circumstance. And so the sports have to, or they're forced to find a way to operate on less money. And believe me, when you get to the point where the numbers don't work anymore, and this, and this is for me the reason why the Saudi-type nation-state money is so dangerous because the money doesn't matter, right? So the CVC is the world it does. If you take the Saudis out of the picture, sport's in a very different place because if it's all CVC-type money, then I guarantee you as soon as things stop working, they restructure the sport very, very quickly, very quickly, right? And so that to me is why the Saudis are the most dangerous. But the most likely, I suspect, is what you wrote last week. The sport will have to change the way it thinks about money and have, we'll have to operate with less money rather than saying, right, we need new capital. I, again, I think it always comes through, it always comes back to the, oh, you're not entertained and comes back to the very, very heart of what this podcast has always been talking about, which is sport needs a fan base. And that sounds so obvious, but that's where everything starts and finishes is, are you entertaining people? And do you know who you're entertaining? And do you know why? And do you continue to do so? And that's my point about where sponsors play a role is they help the entertainment process all the way through. And what I get fearful about this huge money, which is bottomless pit of money, Grant, to your point, is I don't see these people necessarily until they hire the right people to channel the entertainment for the good of the fan. Because without the fan, because the fan has switched off or has been isolated or the products no longer appeal, you have nothing. You have absolutely nothing. And I feel that we're seeing a moment in time where... You know, when you go very fundamentally back to your own fandom, it's not about the money. And you always said this about Live Grant. It's about the glory of winning. It's about the, what for the fan is your heroes winning. It's moments in time. It's a, a lucky win. And all of those things that your club may or may not have got promoted, whatever it may be, those are the passion points that big money doesn't always understand, which is that's fine. You can put the money in, but how do you deploy it? I feel quite um, I'm not sure what the word is. Depressed is too strong a no, word. No, it's feel not. A bit... It's not. I'm depressed. We can do better than this as an industry, Giles. There's a lot of good people around. There's a lot. Yeah, of... and I think, and maybe that should be the point of what summits like Como and what George Pine is doing over in the States is let's pull together, not to say how great we are with, with the sort of holding up lanyards of how brilliant everybody is, but actually let's put the mirror up, say how brilliant we're not, and let's become brilliant and what needs to happen. Maybe that's the reality check. I think the sports industry, and we've all been involved in one way or the other in the industry for, for quite some time, has the biggest ego of all, and people wander around with extended shoulder pads and sharp suits are frightfully important. And actually the proof's in the pudding now, the, the model has to change. So I think that's why I'm so excited. As someone who comes from the finance industry, I will absolutely not let you claim the sports industry has the biggest egos. That just wouldn't be doing my fellow <laughs> financiers a disservice. This is yeah. we, we've run out of time, unfortunately. We have to finish. Our thanks to everybody out there listening. This conversation has been raging for five, six years now. It will continue to rage, and we will continue to have it, no matter who it's with or what it's about. We will continue. So please, if you're interested in the subject, follow us at EntertainedR on Twitter. That's all from the three of us. Thank you very much for watching. We're out. Buona domenica. Thank you very much, guys. 